You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Live from New York. I'm live from New York. Mark's live from New York. Live from New York. Patrick, Towner, Caitlin. It's a full house for the first time in a while. Let's start here. Patrick, Jim Davis got on a plane and flew out for the Bears-Commanders game last night. Yeah. I'm sure on our nickel, um, as he should. But Patrick, how was the game? Uh, the game was a lot of fun. The firm has has great seats, so we had a nice view of uh, probably the worst game up until this point in the season. It was, I think, what was it, 3-0 at the half? It was not good football, but um, it was Jim's first time at Soldier Field, uh, so that was that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, two really bad football teams, Howard. Yeah. <laughs> and the... I can't believe they were on prime time together. Well, and somebody had to win. That was the shame of it. That's exactly right. Someone got a W. Interesting. Well, my sources tell me the beer and nachos were a big hit. Yes, and popcorn, too. Uh, Jim told me that I'm about the same as his nine-year-old son at a football game. So <laughs> All the snacks. Yeah, exactly. All the snacks. It was fun. There you go. So very good. So, all right. It's mid-October. The election is in less than a month. Towner, how do you see things where we are today? Just at a, at a high level. At a high level, I'm still stuck on, you know, Republicans picking up around 20 seats in the House. And, you know, I I think my previous predictions have been Democrats pick up one seat in the Senate, but that's looking less and less likely. The polls in the Senate have actually been moving against Democrats in some of the battleground states recently. And so, um, you know, we may be in a 50-50 split. Everybody's going to be watching the Georgia debate. I think that's going to be a, a point of, of high interest this week uh, to see uh, if there's any movement out of that debate. I think a lot of people in Georgia, strangely, are going to be watching the Georgia debate uh, to, to try to figure out how they're voting. So, um, it'll be interesting to see, but the Senate is is definitely moving in the direction recently of the Republicans, at least if you look at the polling and all the battle, battleground states. But I feel like the House has been fairly static for the last couple of weeks. The thing is, Mark and Patrick, it, it feels like the tie goes to the challenger um, in the sense that if all things being equal, all else being equal, the it goes against the incumbent president. It goes against in in the in the midterm. It goes against the in this case the Democrats, um, especially with inflation that is persistent and doesn't seem to be going anywhere, and hitting people where where it hurts. As good and robust as the economy is, in in some respects, weird economy to be running on, but. If I may, just a couple of observations on on Towner's arithmetic. 20 seats on the one hand is a lot because what are there, guys, maybe 50 competitive races with that? So you're really talking about winning, picking up, which means winning 
twice as many. Uh, you're, you're winning a lot of those 50, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of those 50 competitive races. But on the other hand, Towner and Caitlin, it may not be enough for Speaker McCarthy to have a governable caucus. So that that is an interesting number that that 20. I think in in the Senate, it, my prediction is a long night because all of these are going to be close races. And you're really talking about it breaking one seat here or one seat there. This is very, very granular. But I think, Howard, to your your question, what I'm hearing across the country in talking to, to people about this, it's crime and inflation against uh, abortion and democracy. That's how the sides have been chosen. And it's hard to bet against crime and inflation. You're absolutely right, Mark. Look at the fact that um, President Biden had to go to Oregon this week to shore up a gubernatorial race. The state of Oregon, one of the bluest states in the nation, but because of what's happening in Portland, you know, there's a strong independent bid in that governor's race. And Christine Drazen, who's the Republican, actually has a shot of winning for governor in Oregon. And, and it's just, you look at even Tiffany Smiley in Washington, she's still polling behind at the Senate race against Senator Patty Murray. She's still polling a couple points behind Patty. And Patty might pull it through, but talk about places where you would never expect these races to be competitive because folks are frustrated with the crime. And well, and, and the president the president flew over Arizona and Nevada without stopping. Well, ex- great point. I think Adam Wax, Cortez Mass, Senator Cortez Masto is very, very, very nervous. And Adam Waxall is potentially pulling ahead in that race. I think it all comes down to Pennsylvania. It all comes down to Georgia. Yeah. In Pennsylvania, we have uh, October 25th. We have our interesting debate. It uh, is going to look, with no disrespect intended to our illustrious candidates, it you could confuse it for a carnival sideshow. It, well, it is it is really going to be something watching Dr. Oz and my friend Fetterman with his teleprompter. Even here in New York, I was with um, someone very involved in the Hochul campaign yesterday. Even here in New York, the, the gubernatorial race is tightening meaningfully it's down from a 17 point lead to a 14 point lead and now a 10 point lead in the polls she's gonna win but the point is it's it's tightening and it's moving in the republicans favor i guess they and what howard tuesday night at yankee stadium could you tell which way it was going uh for in the yankees direction okay yes i did go ahead I was going to say, look at what's happening in that race. I mean, someone literally died on or got shot on um, Lee Zeldin's front yard last week. Talk about crime, not to mention the gentleman over the summer who ran on stage and tried to stab him was recently let out of jail because of the no bail, no cash bail policy in New York City. Um, And this is we're we're literally seeing play out in real time. Some of these issues that we're talking about. Some people that I'm sitting across from right now think that some of this may have been fabricated to oh. generate some publicity 
Um, although I want to go back to something you said earlier uh, about Oregon, which yes, Oregon's a very blue state and yes, a Republican is in, is in the running, but Maryland's a very blue state. Massachusetts is a very blue state, very blue states sometimes elect Republican governors like we have right now in Maryland and right now in Massachusetts. And they, They've tended to be some of the best, most popular governors in the country. And it just struck me as you said that I'm not pushing back on your point at all. It just struck me. It's just striking that in this age of division, two of the most popular governors in the country are Republicans that were elected in blue states. And it it just shows that it's not. You, you know, you can't paint with such a broad brush and, and the, you know, the two party system and as much division as we have, it's some, it works. And works. Howard, that's where, you know, that's where when we look at that House number, that has a chance to be 40, theoretically, for the Republicans if things break their way. I mean, Republicans are currently leading in the race to replace Jim Langevin in Rhode Island. You would never think Rhode Island would elect a Republican member of Congress. Uh, There's races in Massachusetts. There's races in Connecticut and and some more races in New York, quite frankly, that could break for Republicans at the end uh, where the NRCC is investing money right now. uh, And it's it's causing the the Democratic DCCC to have to defend those seats. The, the, The problem for me is not. Republic. It's what what kind of Republicans are they? Republicans are they Trumpy, yeah. or are they normal? Are they old school at this point? Chamber of Commerce Republicans who believe in strong national defense and conservative economic policies, or are they people that are Republicans because Donald Trump says that an election was stolen? And they are running on that platform. Like, so, yeah. The only chance to flip those seats in the Northeast that are traditionally Democratic districts is to have the normal run of the mill, non MAGA Republican. You know, Rhode Island's that exact example. You have Alan Fung, who's uh, a very popular moderate Republican, former mayor of the second largest state or second largest city, I should say, in Rhode Island. Uh, And and he's the only reason there's a chance in that race. Uh, If it was a a Trump. That's great. It's great in a few House races, but you're also blowing races that should be competitive. Like it's not like the Republican Party got together and said we should really like make some of these races competitive by nominating smart candidates. That <laughs> I mean, the base of the party continues to nominate people. Like the fact that the Pennsylvania gubernatorial race isn't like a plus two or three Republican race right now is is mind blowing to me. The fact that the Illinois governor's race isn't even competitive. The Chicago Tribune this week endorsed. J.B. Prisker, the Democratic incumbent for governor, first time they've ever endorsed a Democratic a, a Democrat for governor ever in the history of the paper because of what Howard raised. I mean, the base of the party is a lot different than people like Towner and Caitlin who live in Washington and work within the official apparatus and, and, you know, all of our Republican colleagues who work within the, the apparatus of the party. But the people who vote in primaries are not you guys. And they're continuing to nominate Trumpy people all well, over the country. 
country. And, and, you know, not to, not to go back to this point that's tried and true, but the two races you brought up are the two are two of the races where Democrats came in and supported the Trump MAGA candidate in the primaries of both of those. So, you know, maybe that's uh, why they're running out of money Turner, in some of these house races, because they propped up the, uh, the right, the far right candidate. One thing I'll add just to your point, Patrick, it was interesting. I was with Congresswoman Nancy Mace down in her district in Charleston earlier this week, and she really highlighted she is the only Republican House candidate to prevail over a Trump-endorsed, Trump-involved primary candidate. And that's exactly what should happen in that district. That's a blue district that she flipped from Democratic Joe Cunningham two years ago, continues to go back and forth. She is the right candidate for that district. And it was just kind of a stark highlight. I mean, we know we've lost some really great members, Peter Meyer, Rodney Davis, Tom Cole, or I'm sorry, not um, um, several really wonderful members, and she prevailed. And it was yeah. just a kind of a stark reminder there. I think the Howard's point on Republican governor is something I find interesting as we're a few weeks out and you just kind of look across the electoral map for how much, and Howard, I think this was kind of a little bit what you were alluding to, maybe maybe a different spin on it, but for how we lament that things are very partisan, it's kind of interesting that the voters do have some level of sophistication because there are going to be genuine ticket splitters in Pennsylvania, Mark. I think you can speak to this more directly. And in Georgia, I mean, there's going to be uh, Shapiro Oz voters, and there are also in Georgia going to be Kemp uh, Warnock voters. They're just dark. And that that's an interesting development because things have continued to move, you know, to be a bit more partisan. But I think that like people want when they look at like house races, as I think, Howard, you mentioned on a podcast uh, a week or two ago, you know, house races just tend to go the way of the cycle. Right. And it, it just kind of things all kind of tip at the end. Uh, governor's races, people just don't want crazy governors. They don't. They don't. I mean, they just want, they, they kind of, it's a, it's a management executive job. And I think you're going to see a handful of like kind of really out there people lose what could have been winnable races. And then in the Senate, it's a little more interesting because that's kind of where the partisanship and the, and the candidate quality run into yeah. each other. And that's where I think we're going to have to Mark's point, all these really close Senate races on election night that are probably within the margin of error. And we're going to have to see where they sort out. But all that, my, my summary there is just that it's kind of interesting that the voters do make distinctions based on the job they're voting for. Go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, though, it, it's only because of that Republican primary phenomenon we've been discussing where the party, X of Nancy May said, the party swings hard right in these primaries that's the only reason we're talking about Democrats keeping control of the Senate. You right. put Dave McCormick in against uh, John Fetterman, Caitlin, and I'm buying you dinner instead of the other way around. As I don't well. know. I think Dr. Yeah. Oz is going to pull it off. I, he's, yeah. he's been... Well, for you know, I, I, may, I, may I just say this to Patrick's point? He might. He might. But for him to pull it off, you are going to need an enormous ticket splitting. He is going to have to outperform Mastriano, those Shapiro, Oz voters. We're not talking about a handful here and a handful there. It's going to take a, an enormous number of people to walk in. And the way the Pennsylvania ballot works, the Senate's on top. So they got to walk in and click 
Oz and that then good for Oz. That's good. For I us. think that is good for us. And then they yeah. drop down and click Shapiro. Mark, I've got one there... more thing too on to the race because we brought up earlier the Senate debates. We've got a couple of them. Pennsylvania, Mark, you mentioned, <laughs> or I think you mentioned the Georgia race. Those are always interesting because we talk about them a little different than, uh, or they have a different effect than presidential debates for our listeners. Like presidential debates, like they're on all the major networks, everyone watches it. And then everyone kind of says who won the next day, whether it's you're watching the pundits or it's you're talking about it, you know, with your friends or whatever. The Senate rate, the Senate debates, no one watches them. Uh, they're on like your local, whatever your local like PBS local network app. is. Yeah, these are not primetime viewing events. But for the Democrats in particular in a couple of these races, the hope, I think, is that there is. So you don't judge it based on who wins and who loses. But you can definitely lose if you say something that is an ad that gets run for the next three months. I think in the Georgia race in particular, Democrats are hoping. Three weeks, Patrick, three weeks. Yeah, three, weeks. three weeks, not three months. Democrats are praying that Herschel Walker says something absolutely horrible in this debate that will be the ad that they run until election day. That's what happened. That's a good in, bet, by the way. Yeah, it is a good <laughs> I, bet. I mean, that's I, that's what happened in you know Indiana. That's how Joe Donnelly got elected to the Senate. I think the same thing happened in the uh, Claire McCaskill, uh, Todd Aiken race. I mean, that's what these debates are. They are moments where someone can say something that completely shapes the race. I mean, who would ever say something horrible and get elected to office, you know, high office in this country? I mean, I can't, I, I don't, you know. Well, that's I mean, why I bet on the cycle winning out, by the way, not to be overly pessimistic as a Democrat, but Democrats are Democrats are like to make a football reference. Everything's a Hail Mary right now. It's like maybe abortion will save us. Maybe these horrible Republican candidates will save us and we'll accidentally win some of these races. That's like not a good place to be. I would bet on the fundamentals of the economy and the overall cycle winning the day. And I think that's what's ultimately going to happen in a lot of these races. That's why it's going to be a good night for Republicans. So, so Towner, yesterday, the January 6th committee in the House voted unanimously to subpoena the former president documents and, and testimony, which we all know isn't going to result in him going on up to Capitol Hill on live television. And because the committee is going to be disbanded before that would ever happen through the legal process. But nonetheless, they continue to paint a persuasive case of the former president stoking um, January 6th. And I'm just curious how you think that is going to going to impact the election. Well, I think the impact that the January 6th committee has had is is already being felt on the election. And I'm not sure that yesterday's hearing, which was postponed by two weeks because of the, the hurricane and, you know, just sort of happens to fall in this in this. Now we're so close to the election that, you know, a lot of the oxygen gets sucked out of the room with regards to the to the January 6th hearing. And this is going to be their last hearing. And so they 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 were going to do something. And, and in this case, you know, having Cheney uh, request the, the the committee vote and then ultimately vote unanimously on the subpoena uh, was a was sort of a logical next step. He's going to say no. He's not going to go testify. And then they're going to try to enforce the subpoena. But all of this is going to happen after Election Day. And to your point, Howard, in that time period between November 8th and January 3rd, when in theory a Republican 
majority is going to be seated in the House and the committee will be completely disbanded, the, the January 6th committee will also release a large report. And that's going to be their lasting impression. That's going to be something that that's going to stand over the course of the next year or so, uh, as a lot of these other legal proceedings are working their way out. And so I, I hesitate to say that it has much effect at this moment, just because there's so much else going on and you can analyze each individual race. Uh, it had a huge effect, I think, over the summer, though, uh, to get that Republicans remains, to that walk remains away. baked in, Towner. I, I think it's what you said yeah. earlier. I think the January 6th committee has moved the needle a little bit with some voters. It is not going to make the midterms come out different than they would have otherwise. But it has moved the needle a little bit with some voters. And it's what I meant when I said a minute ago that the the sides have been chosen. You're either for inflate, you're running against inflation and crime, or you're running against abortion, against anti-abortion, and against the threat to democracy. I do think it's it's out there. But I, I want to just a, a footnote to one thing you said. I disagree that Trump is going to say no. He's going to say yes, but he's not going to go. But I'm predicting a, a not a tweet, say truth, social, whatever the thing is, storm about any time, anywhere. Nobody's heard my story. Uh, I won't, I'll talk to uh, the committee, Mueller, whomever. And then, of course, I'll take that bet, too. You don't think we're getting that? He pled the fifth in the. You're saying he would uh, be happy to tell his story. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, just, I don't. I don't think he's going to sit there in front of Liz Cheney and Jamie Raskin and Benny Thompson on on video, yeah. and and not uh, answer the questions that they're going to have. That are very no, no, can, Caitlin. Can can the Republican Party move past this? Because I think. If we, there are some number of Republicans in the House currently and running who actually think that the election was stolen and actually like believe all this nonsense. I think most Republicans, and by the way, I don't condone this in any way, but most Republicans would say, yeah, I voted against the certification. I, like Donald Trump should just go away. And like, it's like when I was doing and members would go on television and absolutely talk about how they just rip into us and talk about what a horrible thing it was, the bailout. And then I go to their offices to meet with them and they would thank me for everything I'm doing and talk to me about how important it was. Like people have views that they express privately that they won't express publicly, which I think, by the way, is horrible. But can the Republican Party move past this nonsense that that it's perpetrating? I think, yes. And I think in a lot of ways we are. Patrick's shaking his head. But Howard, to your point, and Mark, to your point, I, I don't think yesterday's final January 6th hearing moved the needle any in this midterm election. But I do think there was a compelling case made and laid out 
And my hope, and you all might say I'm being naive and wishful thinking, is that it will make a difference in a Republican presidential primary. This They laid out the fact that this man lied to his supporters, knew that he had lost the election and was still whipping up all of this fervor. There are people in jail today because he lied to them. And then they did horrible atrocities and trespassed in the Capitol. But he is unfit. He lied to his own supporters. And I think the damage that can be done to Trump in the long term is in a primary for folks running against him on the Republican side of the aisle. Yeah. You know, I think the Republican Party will ultimately eventually move past Donald Trump. Um, What I'm no longer living. Yeah, probably. It's it's gonna happen <laughs> at some point. I mean, it's gonna I mean, happen. When? Time marches on, doesn't it? At some point. What when? But well, you know, if he's indicted and doesn't end up on the ballot for 2024, then I think eventually they're gonna move past him. Plus, you know an indictment doesn't keep him off the ballot, by the way. No, it, it doesn't, it technically, but you know, again, we we've talked about this before. I personally believe that an indictment means that. Um, he's going to lose that modicum of support yeah. that would flip a, a potential primary against DeSantis or somebody else. But the, the point that I, I want to make here is whether the Republican Party can move past Donald Trump is different than what does the Republican Party look like post Donald Trump whenever that eventually happens. And the restructuring of the Republican Party, the, the blue collar conservative Democrats that are now populist Republican voters, along with the hard right, is a is a massive restructuring of the political spectrum in this country. And it leaves, I won't speak for Caitlin, it leaves me trying to figure out what party am I actually in right now? I know I'm, a, I think I'm a Republican. I knew I was a Republican. But the folks that are, that I would consider to be moderate Democrats or blue collar workers across the Southern United States and, and uh, the Rust Belt are, are more closely aligned with the hardcore conservatives that I don't align with. And it leaves me sort of in the middle of these two groups going like, I don't know that I like either one of them at the end of the day. I feel the same way. I mean, you're totally right. I mean, the, the restructuring of kind of where people identify politically is, is a very fascinating outcome of the Trump years. But the thing, I mean, we've talked about this on other podcasts. I mean, I have a bit of I don't know if sympathy is the right word, but like when you and Caitlin talk about when you answer that question, you are answering answering it in a hopeful way, like the same way it's like it's aspirational. We are anecdotally seeing this along some of the hardcore Trump voters and supporters. There is some fatigue there. We are seeing some fatigue even among his base. Yeah, I just I don't know. Like my like anecdotal thing was like I can take a drive. Any of us, whatever state we're in, just take a drive, <laughs> like out, take yeah. a drive away from whatever major expressway you're near. I, there are signs everywhere. Tr- Trump 2024, Biden not my president. This isn't like one guy with a sign. These this this is the part that you guys I I, I know you know this, but like this thing is so out there and the people who support him are so diehard and it's so baked in it's it's like religious fanaticism what? like it is there is uh, mark you, go ahead there's no no I, there's just I, no way to get around it that we're not that's not changing anytime soon i that's because they're pissed off sorry mark but they're pissed they're pissed off mm. because 
the country is in many ways leaving them behind. Well, I'm pissed and, off too, Howard. I'm pissed off at, at them. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm I am too. Sometimes, sometimes like we don't like I don't get to be mad too that they, they that they elected Donald Trump. I mean, believe me, I'm yeah. pissed off too. I think we're all pissed off in a lot of ways, but like, I, you, like there's you have to ask why, why, why was this country in a place where it initially elected and could reelect? Despite all the lies, Donald Trump. And is he a symptom or, or a cause? And it's it's both. It's symptom and cause, and there's Trump and Trumpism. And Trumpism isn't fading anytime soon. That's Towner's point about the fundamental restructuring. I'm on the other side of the aisle. It is wishful. It's a prayer for my country, but I'm going with Caitlin on this one. I'm going, I think, I think the party is going to move past Donald Trump as its 2024 nominee, but Trumpism is going to be the platform of the Republican Party for some time to come. Howard, well, I don't even know what Trumpism yeah, is. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Mark, what, what is it that you consider Trumpism? Election denial at the very, very top of the list, the very, very top of the list. If I didn't win, it was a fraud. Listen, that's a proxy for delegitimization of the system. Well, wait, wait, wait. Stacey Abrams did that in Georgia for a while. I don't think Trump was, I mean, not at the same level, of course, but I don't think Trump was the first person to claim. Well, Caitlin, because delegitimization of institutions is a problem on both sides of the aisle. I know Brian Flaherty is now going to send me a six-page email for both sidesism, and I am not, Brian, equating the left with the right. Stacey Abrams and Donald Trump. No, but the election but, denial. No, but Nor am I. I'm just pointing out that right. it's happened right. before at a lower yeah, but there, you have both. You have you have not. I'm not using both sides in the both sides way. But you have elections where both sides say they won every cycle. The difference here was, first of all, the presidency is different than any gubernatorial or congressional race. And in this case, it was an incumbent who was trying to hold on to power. I mean, there, there's it's just there's just not anything else that you can compare to it. You knew he lost. So the the best thing we can possibly do to fix this country is find a way to regain people's trust how wherever we are regain people's trust in institutions and that's that's a that's a heavy lift it's a heavy lift very heavy lift also just a new generation of leadership i mean i i <laughs> Just the fact that we're talking about the same people, it, it is so disheartening. Like, even if you, you know, I'm sure all of us would have like an idea of who we wanted to be the nominees of our respective parties. And you, you have your own personal views on that. But like, even if we just had the next generation duke it out in the next election, like if you just had like Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis and let's let the country pick which direction they want to go. That would even be, for me, like a step forward of just moving away from the same 
characters that have dominated my entire time in this business. Were you talking with Tim Ryan this week? Because you may have seen his speech about exactly that. Tim Ryan running, obviously, J.D. Vance, Ohio. And in in the hunt, although behind, but he he called for Biden and Pelosi, Hoyer, and the he called for everybody to step down. Yeah. Not to reseek their positions, just wipe the slate clean at the top of the party's leadership. And I think he's got my vote. I think he's right. I, By the way, that's a race that the Democrats would be winning if it weren't for the overhang of Joe Biden and inflation. Yes. Like he should be winning that race, but he's not going to. Everybody says, oh, Ohio is a red state. Well, the other senator from Ohio is one of the most liberal members of the United States Senate. So don't tell me that a Democrat can't win a Senate race, a statewide race in, in Ohio. Yeah, um, that's no, true. Ohio is an inflation and crime state. He, and Tim Ryan is a great he's a great guy. He's a great member of Congress. And he, he's similar to Sharon Brown and that he has. He's like a real person who knows his people. But the, Howard, your point's exactly right. They're, I mean, he's not going to win. And the reason is because of the cycle. And by the way, like he was almost it's its just very interesting. He was practically kicked out of the party a few years ago for opposing Nancy Pelosi for Speaker of the House. Meanwhile, the Democrats had the sense to pick him as their nominee. Like they picked the strongest candidate. He may lose. He is going to lose, but he's the strong. They put the right player on the field to try to be competitive. It's just interesting. Well, spirited as always, Caitlin Towner, Patrick, Mark, live from New York. We're going to leave without predictions on the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Dallas Cowboys. The Yankees. I, I witnessed live and in person the Yankees going up one or not. One nothing. Uh, I gotta say, just on that, just to end with a little sports, since I feel like we should start a politics and sports podcast. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would have we, to start watching sports. Yeah. The Caitlin, you play golf. You're a golfer. Yes. But the the I don't know what it was like at Soldier Field last night for you and and Jim Patrick, but people were so excited to be in the Bronx. For a playoff game on a beautiful October evening. By the way, Michael, I paid my own way. And and it, it was a COVID thing. Like people are just so excited to be back and like doing stuff like that. And it was everybody was happy. Everybody was happy. Yeah. There was a definitely a similar feeling. Cause it's been, I mean, I haven't been to a live sporting event in a couple of years, you know, until this this NFL season. And yeah, there, there's just, there's, it, it is, sounds corny, but you know, there's doing things like that as part of the shared American experience. And actually to, in a weird way, I think tie it back to politics and sports. I actually think doing things like that will help us kind of move to the next stage of our national life. Because I just think that when you can share experiences like that, Howard, right, with, with people that, you know, live like when you go to the game no one talked about the election right i mean it's just 
Patrick, will it be the same shared experience when Bears fans start showing up with paper bags over their heads? <laughs> yeah. You know, That's fortunately, we have, a, next. <laughs> we have a long history of sucking. So it's it's <laughs> it, it's kind of baked into the equation. But yeah, I was like with a bunch of happy people, even though we lost and it was a terrible game and everything. But people, to your point, Howard, they were just happy to be at an event like that. And that I just getting back to normal is going to be good for the psychology of the country. Whatever yeah. normal is now. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, let's end on that note. Fun as always, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.